Chris, thanks very much for joining us on uh, Game Changers. Uh, let's just start with what your first impression this past weekend was of the Silent Ice Center when you walked in and, and got to experience the arena and the building. Yeah, it's state of the art. It's uh, it's pretty wild when you walk in there and you realize that U7, U8, and U9 hockey players are able to play in a facility like that, um, especially one that links video uh, to a jumbotron, music in between periods, music in between games, um, and just that entire atmosphere that that type of facility lets you um, have. It's it's an incredible experience that the, the players get to have, but in in the end, that facility gives you access to have those experiences, and it's it's state of the art. And and this is from a guy who played in state of the art buildings in the NHL. Yeah. This is a little bit of a minier version, but still has all the bells and whistles. It's better than most. It's better most than if not all junior buildings I've seen. Yeah, and and even the seating, the way I like the seating because it's right on top of the ice, good sight lines, especially in their bear bowl. It's uh, mm. really neat, and then you get those boxes as well. Um, yeah, I I mean it's better than a lot of junior buildings I've ever played in. Well, and even NHL, a, even NHL buildings. Yeah, exactly. Well, th there's an arena in Phoenix that isn't that much bigger than the Silent Ice Center, right? I mean, that Mullet yeah. Arena is only 5,000 seats. Yeah, what was the final seating of Silent Ice? Uh, I, I think it's, uh, I've been told 1,600, uh, maybe in the bowl, but obviously uh, you can you can fit a lot more people. There's even seats up in the restaurant, and, and I could even be wrong on the, the lower bowl seating, but you know, I, I think we've got a Saints game in there on the 28th, the Junior A game, and it's going to be wild to see how, how packed it will be. And then our Winter Championship and Future Challenge Cups, uh, uh, yeah. we could see packed fans in there as well. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, just even to see the 2016 game and the 2015 and all the people that come to support it who are around the event. Um, yeah, I couldn't imagine if that place was bumping. It'd be pretty fun. No doubt. Well, you were there uh, with the uh, Clever Super League Kings. Uh, we also had the uh, Clever Super League, uh, the KSL Quebec there as well. Let's just start with that and, and tell us a little bit about the uh, the KSL and, and how it started. So three years ago, we were doing minor hockey and we just felt that some of the kids needed a little bit more. So we decided to go our own way. We started to develop 10 kids roughly in the Whitby area. I'm also from Alberta, so uh, I'm not, I'm starting to become better with the geography of Ontario, but um, we were in the Whitby area developing 10 kids. There was another guy named Jamie Stone doing the same thing in the Kawarthas. So about 45 minutes to an hour away from us. And we both left minor hockey at that time with a U7 age groups. He had a U8, U7 mix, and we just started playing. And so we we're the first guys to kind of do it out this way. There is also a league, the ORHL, that has done this for about 10 years out this way. It's just the, the level of play is a few um, tiers down, uh, definitely a few tiers down. But they still do a great job at what they do. It's just more for, I would say, tier three, tier four level hockey. Um, but we had tier one level hockey players, elite triple a kind of in that age, high double a level. So people around started to see about three hours ago, what we were doing. They started to do the same thing. Um, I also have a 2016 son. So naturally I started to do it with the net that that age group as well. And as we started to, um, go over the last two years. So last year being the first 22, 23 season. We did a unofficial 
clever super league, I guess, year. It was, it was a clever network year where we had 20 teams in the 2014, or we had eight teams in the 2014 age group, three or four or four or five, sorry, in the 2015. And then a couple in the 2016 age group, we'd get together on the weekends, play games, go back to our development. Obviously always knowing that the HSL and HPL have been thriving over the last, you know, four or five, six years. Uh, we started to look at their models, models in the U.S., and really what we wanted the Clever Super League to be coming into our first year, official year, 23, 24. So it was a process from day one, you know, year one to year three. Again, this is our first official year. We have 51 teams across, on, or 50 teams across Ontario and one team in Buffalo. Um, and that Buffalo team plays in our Tier 1 2015 loop. So again, roughly elite AAA level hockey players. And uh, it's it it obviously could be a lot bigger. There's a lot of other teams I want to get in, but we've you know you're, we're starting where we can, especially with infrastructure and trying to make sure that everything's done correctly. But yeah, going back to our first, I guess, real look at this would have been 22, 23 when we had 20 teams. Uh, we we're traveling to the states for tournaments. We're traveling, you know, we also hosted a couple tournaments: one at Christmas, one at the year end in 23. And it, you know, people seemed to love it and they wanted more. So that's why it made, it made way for the 23, 24 season to actually happen with the 50 teams we got. Well, and I think uh, expanding and, and growing responsibly um, is, is on the organization. I think you guys are doing that right. We're seeing that uh, in the JPHL. We've seen that in, in the HSL. You can let everybody in at the start, but you might not be doing it right. So I think that's responsible. Uh, yeah, we want to call it quality is what we want so right. that's a big thing we want quality uh, people involved teams and yeah you're right that's you could let so many more and it's it's hard because you also you know you also want to make sure your events run smoothly and make sure it's done right so yeah the quality is a big thing so what was it like to be able to compete in the challenge cup and you you kind of said you guys had an eye on what was happening out west you're originally from uh, out west in the lethbridge area so to be able to compete to be able to travel uh, for the kids, uh, just, you know, from, from the kids' reaction to uh, the organizers and the coaches and the parents, what was it like to be able to come out West and compete? It was awesome. It was everything that we wanted. Competition, that was one thing. So I was really happy that our players and our teams did really well in the Challenge Cup just to show that, hey, we are developing really good hockey players out here. Um, we're putting a lot of effort into making sure that they're at the level of these HPL and HSL uh, top teams and and we were happy with the way we competed and we're also happy with the way that all these teams let us be a part of the atmosphere you know whether it was the hpl teams the hsl teams they were just happy to see us there happy to see us show up and play against us and it also gives them a bit different of a flavor of hey there is other good players around the world around canada not just in your local areas and it's also eye-opening for our parents and players hey your kid might be good here, but he's not the best around, or maybe he's not, you know, the best everywhere because there's great players in Western Canada. There's great players in Quebec. And I think it is a very big eye-opening process for every league just to show that there's very, very good hockey players across the country. And there's also a lot that weren't able to attend, but that's mm -hmm. a big eye-opening process for the parents and players and families and coaches. 
yeah, just testing yourself against unknown competition is is always great. Whether it's the first time you're playing an international opponent or an inter uh, a different provincial opponent, I think it's great. And and I'm just you know we, we're privileged. We get to broadcast these games and have so much fun. And we broadcast the JPHL and uh, some select HSL games as well. And I I, I marvel at the skill at these kids. I mean, you know, I, I grew up playing minor hockey in Manitoba in the eighties and, you know, Marty Murray was the best player that, that we ever saw at, at that age group. And unfortunately never had the NHL career, but it seems like half the teams have these Marty Murray type kids with terrific skill. They're not afraid. Why do you think kids are so much better in the skill department than we used to be? Well, there's, there's multiple reasons. First off it's technology. Number one, number two, it's time on ice. So uh, I remember till I was about nine years old, I only got two days on the ice. I'd have one practice, one game in novice, uh, pre-novice, novice. So when you're eight, when you go to Adam, that would have been roughly 10, 11 in Alberta in those days. Uh, that's where you used to get on the ice three days a week. And you'd only stay on the ice three days a week until the end of peewee. And then when you get to Bantam, then you'd get your three to four days a week. These kids are on the ice four, five, six, seven days a week already at six, seven, eight. I'm not a big believer in being on the ice six, seven days a week at U7, U8, U9. Uh, our program offers four days a week. Each day is a specific, it has something different. So that's what the KSL mandates is minimum three hours a week. But um some kids obviously do more and extra training on top of that. So I think what you see is time on ice, hours on ice. And also if you're capturing a bigger pool of athletes, more kids that can play, that always helps bring better athletes into your, into your sport. Uh, I always like to say to everyone, you know, you, you can't put Einstein in an octagon. So at the end of the day, you have to find the athletes. You have to find the players that want to do it. Um, there still needs to be better efforts into finding athletes who can now afford it because hockey is becoming a little, inex it is becoming inaccessible like every other sport. So anyone who tells me soccer is accessible is lying. Soccer is not accessible anymore. Um, but that's how you can even broaden the pool more to find more athletes. But again, more kids are playing now, um, more access to ice, better technology, and I think that's why you see these kids can do what they can do at this age now. Is it a tough balance when you're, you know, you're obviously, we, we talk a lot about, we don't want to pound out the skill in, in kids in hockey, but you also, you don't want to encourage individual play. You have to have individual skill, but play as a team to have success. Mm -hmm. I mean, you played with some of the most skilled players uh, ever in the game but they also came together as a team to win a Stanley Cup. So we want to encourage the individual skill, and we don't want to make everybody a robot, but we also want to bring in that team atmosphere. Is there a balance uh, as coaches at that young age? There is a balance, and that's why I think it's important to be with the right coaches or the right program that are balancing skill, hockey IQ, compete, and all those things because – being a great hockey player isn't being, being able just to toe drag a pylon. You know, I go to some practices and you see 10 pylons on the ice and the kids are doing the same programming route. And then they wonder why they don't get better because they're doing these routes at half speed. So um, being a part of a good program with coaches that have um, an understanding that they're not always the best at everything. So I'm not a great skater, so I hire a skating coach, you know, and you have to have a lot of coaches and programs that understand that. But you're right. Hockey IQ is still the biggest piece of the game. 
even I believe still bigger than skating because you can still see some guys in the NHL. They're not great skaters, Joe Pavelski and all this. They're not the quickest. But the IQ lets them play in a game where the game is fast. Now, yes, skating is the most next most important thing to me. Um, if you're looking at that, and I still at times put compete above skating. I'd rather have a kid that might not be as swift on his edges, but he's willing to be a dog and get the puck, and he's got hockey IQ. So it's it's something that you have to be able to program and start to teach these kids. So if you have a player that's better with hockey IQ and he's a dog, then he needs a little more time with skating. So it's basically taking those players, strengthening their strengths and then strengthening their weaknesses at the same time. But you definitely need program directors and people that understand what each kid needs in order to get better and where they maybe need to more maybe need to spend more time on. Yeah, I think skating is the most teachable um, and the most correctable. I, I, I you know, junior players that I've seen that I thought, ah, I'm not sure if this guy's going to be able to make it, even at the AHL, and they improved their skating. Uh, but it's hard to teach hockey IQ. You can teach um, where players should go, but it's hard to teach uh, intuition and things like that. That's yeah. just almost a little bit of a given. And 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 you said that you know mentioned the numbers are growing. The numbers are growing in independent hockey like crazy out west. Uh, I know out east, in, in, out east rather, in the United States. I mean, we've seen the BCHL go an independent route. Do you think we're just kind of seeing the tip of the iceberg on this? I know we're involved in it, uh, inside it, but and I talked to a lot of outsiders, and they think that this is starting to, to just the start of a wave. What do you think? Well, back to the numbers for hockey. You hear some people say, "Oh, numbers are down." because independent hockey players aren't counted towards the totals of USA Hockey and Hockey Canada. So if you actually look at the independent hockey across the world now, and you add those totals, hockey numbers are actually going up. Um, Now, I I would like to see them go up more like everyone else would. Again, I think the inaccessibility of price is always an issue or barrier of entry. But if you look at independent across the U.S., Uh, especially at the younger levels, the U7, U8, U9, and how all these players, uh, especially for the last five, six years in the U.S., they definitely do a lot of independent private development until U10, and then they go back to their centers. So they'll go back to Hockey USA at U9, or 9U, they call it, we call it U10. So these players are developing, they're getting better, and then they are ready for AAA, essentially. Um, That's what we're doing. You know, more in the KSL level, we're just developing the U7, U8, U9. And we are getting these players ready, you know, whenever they're ready to go back. So last year, my program had 27 players in it at the U9 level. All 27 made uh, AAA level hockey in their local areas. And that doesn't even include the other 20 team or the other eight teams. I think it was like 98% of the players that did K, you know, the first ever unofficial clever league, 98%, 99% made triple A hockey. It's pretty crazy. So it shows you that these players are being developed at a young age and it's starting to happen across the world. It's been happening in the HSL for a long time, uh, the H- HPL for a few years now. And then you start to see JPHL pop up more Academy style, obviously with a great idea on how to make it more affordable than other academies. And then, you have uh, the junior league, the BCHL, that's basically got no boundaries now, and it gives them access to get players to NCAA still. So I think, you know, the way I look at it is it, it can go one way. I mean, it's three ways. It can go down, stay, or grow. 
I think, you know, independent hockey is growing, especially at the younger age groups, the U7, U8, U9, because of uh, multiple reasons. But um, the junior one is very interesting to me because I could see that league being very, 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 very strong here relatively soon and sending most like most likely is it is is the ushl or is the bchl the most sent um it's probably pretty close uh between the two the ushl has that hockey usa program that kind of boosts the 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 numbers a little bit so i look at the bchl like if if it goes the way it could and it should. I mean, it could be arguably like their top teams could be as good as a WHL team, if not better, just because they're grabbing more players and they still have access to turn pro or go NCAA. So if the league's stronger and it's giving you more access without hindering your eligibility, then, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious what you might want to do. So it is, it is interesting. I mean, I can't answer what I think is going to happen. I can always... I feel is going to happen. I can always think, you know, I think it is growing. Um, but yeah. And, and people like the HSL, HPL and all the guys and women putting time into it to make these kids better and give them access to hockey, high end training, high end development, just like the KSL and KSL Quebec. Uh, I think you'll start to see you, you know, especially at the U7, U8, U9 level, it grow more. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think, and I think we're, we're all being patient with it and, and making sure that it, uh, it goes uh, responsibly as we talked about before. Now, have to talk about some cool moments in your career. Obviously, two Stanley Cups. Uh, you scored the very first goal at the outdoor game in Wrigley Field. I mean, that is a moment that has to stand out in your career, is it not? I remember before the game, they're like, who's going to score it? Zetterberg, Datsuk, Chelios. Um <laughs> Kane, Taze, Hosa, you know, uh, Havlat. And then it's like, Chris Versteeg, who's this guy? How did he score the first ever goal at a, at a baseball field? It was it was unbelievable. I know my mom and uh, all my family there, everyone, they said they were freezing because of the, the wind coming off the lake that day and it was cold and a little snowy. Not It wasn't snowing a lot, just sprinkling a bit, but it was cold because of that wind. And they were miserable when when I scored. They were happy. I didn't really notice it because I go sit back on the heater every time I get off right. the ice. But the moment that puck went in, especially the first goal, it was you know I still remember Havlat coming down the wing, took the slap shot, puck popped out, and I just banged it in. I'm like, oh, I think I scored the first goal. Uh, I know Buff went skating by, and I didn't know if it hit his skate and went in. It was close. And then during the intermission, he's like, I hit my skate, hit my skate, and. Yeah, I was like, whatever, buff. It didn't. Make <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was an amazing moment, for sure. Uh, winning two Stanley Cups. I-, I always love to ask people that win the cup who they're thinking about when they're lifting it. I mean, because that's the ultimate moment. You know, for for us Canadians, the Stanley Cup is everything. The Olympics has kind of crept in now, but winning the Stanley Cup all the practices, all the coaches that pushed you, all the times your parents drove you to games. I mean, who goes through your mind when you're lifting the ultimate trophy? The first time was, uh, I mean, my mom, number one, everything she did for me, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa. You know, without them, we wouldn't have been able to play hockey because we couldn't afford it. So being able to get us skates, get us access to equipment, 
being able to sign us up and register us. They did everything. They fed us, my mom's mom and dad. They, yeah, they fed us. They drove us to hockey to help my mom. Uh, they did literally everything. So without them, now without my mom and dad, number one and two, but without my grandparents and the access that they gave us, I mean, it would have never happened. My brother would have never played pro for 14 years or had the access to hockey. Um, you know, they basically always said if they didn't give us hockey skates, and I know I've said this in a lot of podcasts, uh, we'd be deader in jail, and it's probably true. So just the the ability that someone stepped up for our family when we needed it, and that for me was the first thought that went through my mind. And then obviously as you go on, I have trainers. My trainer, Trevor Hardy, let me train for free when I was 14, 15, 16, uh, again, because of financial issues, and said, hey, if you ever make it, just pay me back. And that was a guy who took a chance on me too. So I thought of Trevor, um, you know, my aunties, uncles, and then last but not least, my two brothers, they pushed me more than anything, especially my middle brother. Uh, well, Bryce, my youngest brother, he was probably the most talented and he's six foot four, but he quit when he was 12. Hmm. He could have been good and really good, but he quit when he was 12. But my middle brother, Mitch, we played hockey every single day on the road. And he was a WHL or played three years in the WHL, uh, had a good pro career. So me and him every single day battled, fought on the street, literally fought on the street and, uh, yeah, made each other better, made each other who we were as hockey yeah. players. I always, th I always think of the ODRs or the street hockey games that really toughen kids up. I know my two brothers are five years older than me. So I was the battering ram that they threw around out there, but it does. I always ask brothers, like I can only imagine what the Hughes family or the Stahl family ODR games must have been like, or the Sutters, uh, when you go back in uh, in the day. Well, yeah, I think about when kids play hockey on the street now, I'm like, they're like, what were your rules? I was like, the grass was full <laughs> contact. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, the grass was part of the game. So you'd dump the puck out of the ball in the grass and you'd run the guy. You know, it was... Uh, it, it was full court press. So it was the rules we made up ball on grass, full contact. Um, yeah, it, it definitely made you keep your head up and made you tougher. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, it was, it was uh, certainly a different time. Uh, speaking about the times in Chicago where you played and the mega stars that have taken the ice, the court, the field, I mean, the, the hall of famers in hockey, uh, and then you look at Michael Jordan, you look at the Bears teams, you look at the, the, the Cubs and the White Sox. I mean, the legendary stars that are, have played in Chicago. Now there's a new star in number 98. You played with 88, you played with Taze, you played with Host, you played with these guys, these superstars. What is it going to be like for Bedard? And how do you think he makes his mark in that city? Well, following up Kane and Taze and Hosa and Keith and Seabrook on on the star, you know, just being a star wise, he can do it. It's where you're going to have to follow up those guys winning wise. So these guys were winners because they were willing to sacrifice as superstars. So if you see Patrick Kane, the best years he had, the years they won the Stanley Cup, he never had more than really a point a game. I think he had 88 points and then. I can't remember, barely a point a game the one year, even the other year. Like he understood it took an entire team to win a Stanley Cup. 
And that's what Bedard's going to have to learn as he goes on, if he's going to want to be a winner in the city of Chicago, is sacrifice is the ultimate thing in order to help you win and having teammates around you that help you because he's a superstar. I think, again, on the star-wise, being able to handle the media, all the pressure and all that, he's been doing it since he's a young kid. I don't think that's a problem for him. It's the winning. If they go three, four years, five years, look at McDavid. If they don't understand sacrifice and actually what it takes to win a Stanley Cup, winning a Stanley Cup compared to winning a junior or a, a Bantam title, it's not even close. Right? You're going against grown men who l- literally sacrifice every single day to win a Stanley Cup who will rip your limbs off your body in order to do it. That's what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. And if you don't have the teammates willing to sacrifice or you're not willing to sacrifice as a superstar yourself, you're not going to win a Stanley Cup. So. That's where I'm interested to see how he starts to handle the pressure of a city like Chicago in three, four, five years if that team doesn't turn around and become a, a team that's a championship team like the years with Kane, Taze, Hosa, Sharp, and those guys. Good stuff, my man. Uh, it was great to watch the KSL in Edmonton, uh, and I look forward to more Challenge Cups in the future. And uh, I thank you very much for your time. Congratulations on what you've built out there, and best of luck moving forward. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to the HPL. Thank you to the HSL. Congrats on that incredible facility. Those kids are insanely lucky and uh, we're very happy to be there.